Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Hip Senior Podcast, hosted by Marianne Bailey. Each week we sit down with seniors age 55 and up to share stories that will inspire you to live your life to the fullest. Plus, information on the latest services that will allow you to make your golden years into platinum years. So, grab your cup of joe, sit back, and get inspired. And now just a quick message from our sponsor of the day, Anchor by Spotify. Hi friends, this is Marion Bailey from The Hip Senior. Have you ever wondered what it takes to have a podcast? Well, I'm here to tell you that Anchor.fm is one of the easiest ways to get started. You can have a podcast up and running in one day. Did you know that? You can talk about things in your past, things that are going to happen in the future, things about a business or a volunteer opportunity. There's all kinds of reasons and things that you can do with a podcast. And I'm here to let you know that using Anchor by Spotify is one of the easiest ways to make a podcast. Everything that you need to record a podcast, to edit it, and to get it listed in all the major podcast listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Everything's in one place. Simple to do. And oh, I forgot to mention, it's completely free. If you want more information about hosting a podcast or getting started, Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now back to our podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Marianne Bailey with OnlineTechLessons.com. But today we are talking about taxes and Medicare and baby boomers and whatnot for our The Hip Senior podcast. And we are joined today by with Bill Hesch. And Bill, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. How are you today? I'm doing great, Marianne. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I managed my law firm, my CPA firm in, in Oakley Square. I'm kind of kind of unique, a one-stop shop uh, uh, as, as a CPA, an attorney. That's uh, Ohio, right? In Ohio and Kentucky. I'm licensed in Ohio and Kentucky. Okay. Um, and that uh, basically, I'm also a personal financial specialist, which is a CPA that specializes in financial planning. And what's unique about that whole mix is, is that I work a lot with baby boomers and we've talked about trying to discuss Medicaid law and elder law planning that, that I think the number one fear that, that baby boomers have is they're going to outlive their money. And uh, as a financial planner, I help clients would look at their, their money, their resources. But the big, 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 big question mark here is we don't know what cards we're going to get dealt. We do know the statistics though. And the statistics are that two out of three uh, baby boomers are going to end up in a nursing home. We do know that the average stay is four years. Why do, why do we know that? Because Medicaid has a five-year look back, and they keep on top of that. But I, well, I will say that if you have memory care uh, and, and dementia, Alzheimer's, the average stay could be six to eight years in a nursing home. You might progress from assisted living to basic skilled care, and then you're going to be in memory care 24-7. And, and the financial consequences are just devastating to a family. 
Uh, it's not unusual for a lot of the baby boomers that uh, everybody's mom and dad, they never talked to them about their personal finances. But yet at the same time, uh, you know, when they age into their 70s and 80s and life happens and, and one of them goes to a nursing home, uh, it's, it's, it's really sad because then everybody's reacting. And what I can share with you is, is that the average person out there does not have a lot of money to pay for nursing home care that might happen. Uh, I think in, in Cincinnati, the average cost for a semi-private room in nursing home is, is almost $100,000 a year. That's $8,000 a month. Uh, it can get more expensive based upon what kind of health condition you have and particularly memory care units that, that you're locked down 24-7. Um, and, and so what ha happens is, is that uh, you're on a private pay basis that Medicaid doesn't kick in for paying those long-term nursing home care until you follow certain rules. And that's why I think people need to understand what the rules are, because it, if you're going to try to help mom or dad, grandma, or grandpa, or you're trying to help yourself plan for this, um, advanced planning is really, really critical. And I, because I mentioned that five-year look back that Medicaid has, because Medicaid is taking a position that says, you know, mom or dad gets sick, you know, and they're in a nursing home, they have a stroke, it's unexpected. Um, and then you say, well, I'm going to gift all the money to my kids, and then, then the government's going to pay for my nursing home. And they're, they're smarter than that. They say, no, uh, that that's, those are prohibited transfers, that if you go in the nursing home, the, the Medicaid looks back five years to see whether or not you've transferred property to your children. And if you have, those are improper transfers. They got to be pulled back in. And, and, and you, there's a penalty that's imposed on, 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 the, and on, on those improper transfers. So I'm trying to purpose of this program, I think, would be to try to help people understand that there's really, is number one, a, a great need to do advanced planning. And, and, and that's an old adage, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. And you that's know, now that you say that, Bill, let's go back a little bit. Let's, let's back up and let's go back to, you know, you talked about planning. What is the ideal? Okay. So not, not the typical or the possible, but what is the ideal age that somebody should start looking and saying, um, I am 50, I'm 55, I'm 60. What is that typical age that people should start looking and saying, I need to put a plan into place? And what is the good age that they should contact you to start asking these questions? Well, uh, let me put it in perspective. There's what's called a, a long-term care insurance. And you should be doing that in your 50s because the costs can get prohibitive and you may not even be eligible for long-term care insurance in your 70s. Okay, so, so 50, 50s, is that 55 or is that 50? I'm 50 right now. Should I be looking into that or can I wait until I'm 55? Okay, uh, anywhere in your, I think it starts at 50 to 55. That, okay. Because my point is you're healthy and, and you don't know what your, your, your medical conditions are going to be in five or 10 years. And so it's so important to try to get in on long-term care insurance when it's early. And there's also something that they've, they've come up with a new program that ties it in with life insurance. It used to be about long-term care policy. And if you, and you spent all this money, if you didn't use it, you lost it. Well, now they have a policy that basically allows somebody in their fifties to buy, basically buy life insurance on themselves. And I'll give you an example. You might pay, maybe you pay, uh, I'm going to say $5,000 a year, okay? And it's going to buy maybe $100,000 of life insurance. 
and you might pay that for 20 years and put $100,000 into it, okay? The, the way the policy is set up is, is that if you don't use long-term care, you get a death benefit of $100,000. You get your money back, basically, your premiums you paid. Right. However, if you need long-term care, they provide a benefit to you that in lieu of the long-term care, then you get a monthly benefit that's tied and it discloses it's very significant. And so it's a good way of trying to, um, I think, qualify for this type of product because it's a life insurance product and you need to be young and healthy uh, in order to get a good premium rating for the policy. Okay. What if you become disabled, say, in five or 10 years? Can you can you go into a facility at that point and use that policy? Well, that's what, yeah, that's what kicks in for long-term care policies. So the purpose of that policy is, is if you qualify uh, to, to a long-term care uh, nursing home facility, uh, then, um, then the, the policy will pay the cost of the nursing home, okay? And usually it's a daily benefit that they define. So, uh, but the, the idea is, is that you're going to go into it with some type of planning. You know that maybe the average cost today is around $8,000 a month. And, and these insurance policies have riders so that it, it's indexed for inflation. So as, as inflation kicks in over the next 30 years for a nursing home, your cost, your, your benefit is not today's cost, but it's adjusted for inflation. Okay. So it takes that into consideration when they design these policies. Okay. So you're going to have money available in your later years, in your 70s and 80s or 90s when you need, when you, that's when you're more likely to end up in a nursing home, okay? Um, but sometimes people end up in their 60s and 70s, uh, early 70s in nursing homes. I mean, it does happen all the time. Um, and, and so that's why advanced planning, I think, is so important uh, to take a look at that. Um, and and what, what we're trying to say, too, is, is that um, Medicaid is going to kick in typically, um, you know, when you're 65 or older, okay? So, you know, from that standpoint, um, and, and, and to qualify for Medicaid, you must have a medical need and you have financial tests that you have to comply with. So there's some, there's some, there's some hoops you got to jump through. Uh, the medical need ties down to, uh, to give you an idea how they go into it. That if you need, uh, have trouble um, with, need assistance for mobility, bathing, grooming, toiletry, dressing, or eating. And they look at those, everybody gets an assessment. So if somebody's sick, they come in, uh, you know, pro seniors or come in and, or, or counsel on aging, and they'll do an evaluation of, 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 of someone that's, that's having some uh, problems. And they'll determine, they'll do a level of care assessment. And they'll document whether or not they need intermediate or skilled nursing care. And if they need assistance with at least, at least two activities, two of those activities, then they will be deemed to have qualified then for the needs test from that standpoint, that they, they have those basic needs so they can qualify to be in a nursing home, okay, from that standpoint. Then the financial test is the other thing that's really important to understand, too, because, it, you know, you have a monthly income, but... Um, you know, the nursing home care might be more than your monthly income. So what happens? Or you're on a private pay basis, potentially. And, and, and if you're single, I got to tell you, the house might be exempt, but you got to spend down to $2,000. So if you're single, if some people are, are divorced and widowed and they're single, um, th this is pretty major that if something happens, 
they the house may be protected that they qualify for Medicaid, but the way it works is is that they have an estate recovery program when they die that they go after the money that they spent against the estate, and so they still end up losing the house and at the end of the day to to uh, to the nursing home. So um, is a plan you're... like that is that plan like that to get into starting? Sorry, just to go backwards a little bit. Sure. Um, is is that uh, let's talk nuts and bolts. Is that an expensive process? Is that based on your age and health? How, how do they determine how much it's going to cost you right now at the age of, say, 55 or so to get into um, planning for this and, and have a plan like that? Well, the insurance people have actuarial, it's all actuarially determined. So they're, they're doing the actuarial studies that, so they have, they're playing the odds, okay? Because not everybody's going to need to go to the nursing home before 65. It's, it's, it's unusual, quite frankly. Okay. But two out of three people after age 65 ran up in the nursing home before they die. And the average stay is going to be four years. So those are the statistics that, that I think lend themselves that people need to be aware of the fact that it's very real. Um, and usually I look at it, if there's a married couple, usually one of them is going to end up in a nursing home potentially. Yeah, but sure. But let's let's look at it from say my, me. I'm 50 years old. Maybe I want to start buying into a. Sorry, silly people. Um, maybe they want to. Um, I, I want to buy a plan that. Um, so I start planning now at the age of 50. Is would I be looking at hundreds of dollars a month? Fifty dollars well, a month, kind what, of. What, what, I, what I recommend because everybody has different sure. health conditions and everything else. So my point is. I mean, but you, is it expensive to start planning ahead? My recommendation is you go out and you get a policy and you find out what the numbers are, and yeah. then you can evaluate it. Okay. I know. I was just wondering, like, if it was expensive to to get started, even thinking about this at this age. I know it's it could end up being expensive if you didn't start looking at it. But I know, you know, like right now, people are struggling with the pandemic and not work and stuff like that. Maybe retirement planning um, is is one of their 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 very last concerns that they're even thinking about right now. So, well, and so from that regard, that then, then to me, it's a waste of time. If you don't have the money to do it, then I, don't, I wouldn't even look at it. Okay. Right. I mean, you got to look at your priorities, okay? So I, when I do financial planning, people have to take care of their basic needs and then they're trying to save for retirement, you know, and, and is it better for them to try to save for retirement instead of spending the money for long-term care because they may not even need it? I would say it's best that, you know, you have to go through the progression. And I think you want to cover basically, uh, you know, planning for your retirement. And, and the rule of thumb there is everybody should be trying to save 10% of their income every year. 10%, that's the rule of thumb. 10% of your income should be going to your 401k or your IRA plan. Make 50,000 a year, you try to put 5,000 a year away. Okay. Okay. So I think that I would start there with, and then if, if you find that you have extra money available that you're with your monthly budget, a lot of people, you know, that's the problem. Uh, money is the number one problem in relationships. Um, it affects all classes of life. So there's a reason why 70% of the lottery winners go bankrupt. Everybody always outspends whatever they got by 10%. And so the importance to try to accumulate wealth and plan for retirement, what's really important there is to, is to live below your means. Easier said than done. But typically it means you, 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 know, you, don't get, you don't go out and get a mortgage based upon I can, this is how much I can get. But you try to, you know, the, the bank will loan you 28% of your income for your mortgage payment, for your house, your condo. I recommend you try to do 15 to 20% of your income. 
You live below your means. Yes, you could afford a bigger house, but you know, you're going to have that extra money available, hopefully, to put away for retirement or maybe even to enjoy life better and have less financial stress in your life. Same thing with your cars. You know, I think some of our, our younger, uh, like the millennials and stuff like that, I think some of them are are starting to realize that, you know, and they, they tend to think like experience, um, experiences are more important than the material things already. Um, and, you know, do we need a four bedroom house when we really only need a two bedroom? You know, think about it. Americans are the only ones who really think like, oh, I've got to, and I don't know when this started, you know, oh, I've got to have a spare bedroom. Oh, I've got to have, you know, space right now, right now having rooms for offices and whatever, since we're all working from home is really important as well. But it's like, I think we tend to overbuy and overspend for what our actual needs are like that. So living beyond your means, below your means are, are definitely um, is an important lesson for everyone to learn regardless of the age. Right. But if I can move back to the topic of Medicaid planning, the other thing is the financial test. I want to mention that, and people need to know this, if you're married, that the house is exempt, okay? That you do have an asset up to up to around $600,000. So that's most people, their house is exempt, okay? So if you're married and one of you goes in the nursing home, the house is an exempt asset. That's really important because if somebody has Parkinson's or uh, major problems, sometimes you really don't want to sell the house because the house is an exempt asset. If you sell the house, then, then it's not exempt. The cash is not exempt from the sale of the house. So sometimes you hold on to the house for maybe a year or two, uh, depending upon the, 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 the life expectancy of the person going to the nursing home. Um, and, that, and, and then the money that you've got, whether it's the IRA or the uh, 401k, or you know, there's a special rule that the required minimum distributions are required to be used um, in both Ohio and Kentucky uh, for your for your nursing home. So if anybody's got an IRA or 401k, you don't have to cash out the, the IRA 401k. You don't have to cash it out. You don't have to pay tax and, and use the rest for the nursing home. You're only required to use the, what's called the required minimum distributions. So when you're over age 72, there's required minimum distributions. And so um, that's an example where uh, those retirement assets are somewhat protected. So we want to make sure we have some retirement assets out there that are in an IRA or 401k that roll over or something. Uh, but then you have other investments that you might have outside of the IRA. And the bottom line there is, is that let's say you have a half million dollars or $300,000. Um, if you're married, you have to spend down uh, basically to around $130,000 of, of the investments that are not um in an IRA or 401k or retirement plan. I mean, so you're talking if you had a half a million dollars of investments that were outside your retirement plan and you and you know your house is exempt, you'd have to spend from 500,000 down to 130,000. Uh, that money would have to be used to pay for the nursing home um, before you would qualify for Medicaid. So is that thing the most you can have is $130,000 that's tax exempt? Yeah, that, that's, that's in an after-tax account because I tried to distinguish the fact that IRAs are treated differently than the IRAs are what we call before-tax accounts. We haven't paid tax on it yet. Okay. Then sometimes after you pay taxes, you've invested money. That's your after-tax investments. Those after-tax investments are not exempt. It, 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 basically, half of, it is, half of it is exempt up to a maximum of around $130,000. 
Okay. If you've got a lot of money in after-tax accounts, that money is exposed, okay? Um, and so, you know, when people have this type of situation, you know, they, they kind of look at it. And, and the thing I would share with you is, is that you might say, well, great, my house is exempt. But guess what? The surviving spouse, when the person dies, and the surviving spouse, the house really, in essence, is not necessarily exempt because that person has to have a state recovery if the second person has to go to the nursing home, okay? So that can create uh, uh, some planning opportunities. And one of the, to give you an idea of one of the things that we commonly do for a couple in their 70s, uh, we're trying to do advanced planning, is that they will gift the house to their kids to get the five-year rule running. We're not concerned about the first person. We are concerned about the second person because you got a problem with the second person. The house is not protected. So we try to do, if they've got enough budget, enough money available, we try to basically transfer the house to them irrevocably in trust for the benefit of their kids. What if they don't have kids? Well, then whoever your heirs are, and that's another point I'll make with you, because sometimes if you don't have kids, then you're not as concerned about doing Medicaid planning because... Um, you know, if it goes, if, 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 you know, you, the alternative typically might be um, family members that you're not close to. So you're not as concerned about trying to conserve it for them. Uh, or you might have your favorite charity that you're trying to conserve it for. Right. Okay. So my point is, if you don't have children, then, um, you know, it's, it's a question of how strong you feel about not wanting the money to go to the nursing home. And so, what we do is one of the strategies is, is that you irrevocably transfer property like a house to a trust. And then the, the trust leases the house back to mom and dad, basically in a typical situation. So the kids own mom and dad's house. And after five years, the house is exempt and you're hoping mom and dad are going to be healthy for five years. So they're paying monthly rent. And because they're paying monthly rent, that's fair market value. The rent is exempt. So you're shifting the, the money out of their account into the trust. And, and the kids have the money available then for mom and dad. Um, and they got their inheritance down the road, but they also had extra money to, to help mom and dad, because I got to share with you, if mom and dad go on the, on Medicaid, they only get 50 bucks a month to live off of. They have hardly anything to live off of. And so it, that's the kind of planning that we, that's one basic strategy is an example that we might do for a couple that they're saying, gee, I'd like to protect it. I want my kids to get the house. Uh, I'd like them to get other money. Um, and, and so, and also if, if I run out of money, um, then they've got extra money to help me with. Okay. So it's a moral obligation, not a legal obligation, but it, it's a strategy that's used to try to, basically transfer the house to the kids. Um, it, it requires advanced planning five years, but after five years, and that's the whole idea that if they're healthy, then they keep paying rent and they're shifting all their money out of their investment accounts into the, the trust and they're avoiding the five-year look back. So it, that is one technique that we've used a lot uh, for families. And we're not being overly aggressive because mom and dad still have all their investments. But the, the, we put a budget together is what we do. We do some retirement planning. We do some financial planning for mom and dad that are in their 70s and 80s. And we put a budget together and we, we make sure that they can live off the income that they have, the assets they have, um, and that we try to make sure that, that um, they're living to the life expectancy, which typically average baby boomer is, is 83. 
as I mentioned maybe before, one out of four is age 90, one out of 10 is age 95. I just checked that too for women because typically it's different for men and women. For men, one out of five uh, reach age 90, but women one out of three age 90, you know, right. for women. Okay, so those are the current statistics. And those numbers are, are significantly higher than what they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. People are living a lot longer because when that happened, that's what's happened with the nursing home situation. In the 80s, you went to a nursing home and you didn't stay more than a year because you died within a year if you went to a nursing home. And they had an 18-month look back. In 1993, the government changed the look back to three years because people were staying, living longer in a nursing home in, in, in the early 90s. And then in 2006, they did the look back to five years because the average stay for a nursing home in the 2000s was basically four years. So they moved it from three to five. I'm looking for them to potentially move the, the, the look back um, even further to maybe seven years because I think people are living longer in the nursing home with Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, six to eight years. So I wouldn't be surprised if they moved the five to seven sometime in the next few years. So let me let me stop you there right there for a second. Do you think that people are living longer in nursing homes? I mean, understandably, we have better health care than we had even 20 years ago. Um, and so I'm sure that's a big part of factor of it. Um, it is also part of the factor like nursing homes are doing a better job engaging people mentally and stimulating their brain and physically keeping them active and stuff. Is that part of what's going on as well, keeping them more engaged? And that's why they have more will to live? longer well actually and i saw a study on that it was, it was in a magazine that the number one factor that affects longevity is social interaction with other people more than any other uh, health history you know your genetics uh uh your weight your body mass index um you know basically that is so true that if you stay engaged okay mm -hmm. and i think i, I I'll, I'll mention this because when i started studying financial planning years ago I, I, there was a, a statistic then that said if you if you retired, you would potentially die within five to seven years. Right. Over the past thirty years, I've observed people that have retired and and have in fact not lived more than another five or seven years. And there's just something about being engaged and 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 staying active that just it, it does extend your life expectancy. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Oh yeah, we had a conversation yesterday on uh, yesterday's podcast about with Krista Powers, and we were talking about blue zones. Are you familiar with blue zones? I, I've heard about that. Yes, Just, yeah, I've read so, an article, and and that's what she was saying was part of of the blue zones. They have like nine different um, factors as to why people are living beyond one hundred in these areas, and we actually have a blue zone in, in Loma Linda, California, and uh, but one of the the and that's the only one in the U.S. that we have, by the way. Um, but one of the or two of the kind of points, they have like nine different points that they hit on. And some of them were things like engagements with others, part of being a part of a tribe. Where where do you fit in? Do you have people that you hang out with that you have the same hobbies or the same uh, financial interests? You know, do we all live in the, the same way? Do we save money? Do we are we active? Um, different things like um, like activity you know, uh, being more active, just in even everyday activities, like hand mixing stuff instead of using 
um, a mixer to, to do the work. You know, they're actually, and they're doing, moving their bodies and being active and uh, mentally stimulating um, by learning, constantly learning new stuff and being part of um, a family unit and that people that are alone and not part of a family union unit or have, you know, a tribe of people around them to help support them, whether it's emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever the case may be, um, tend to, to not live as long. And so that's why one of the success things of these blue zones kind of is, is all of that kind of combined together. Um, and I know that a friend of mine recently had to move her mother from one nursing home to another because the nursing home she was in just was not engaging her mother enough. And she was severely depressed, uh, really despondent. And the doctor said, you know, no, it's, it's not her health. It's just that she's not engaged with stuff. She moved her to a new different uh, senior facility. And all of a sudden she was back to her normal self and excited about life again and thriving. So I could see that whole mix up, but that whole being engaged and not being alone thing is so important. Well, I think it's also people are wanting to stay at home and not go to the nursing home. So I think it's important to have in-home care programs that focus on that engagement thing. So I know that my stepmom had uh, dementia and was failing uh, and in her later years before she passed away. And I brought in a specialist who basically worked with her caregiver and her daughter, who actually was an RN, and made recommendations on how to keep mom engaged in a lot of different ways, a lot of different activities, uh, so that that it would it would help delay the progression of the dementia and Alzheimer's. Okay. Yeah, even like senior centers and, and senior homes these days, they're even offering. And I know we're we're starting a program with our uh, LMS, our our learning management system, where we're going to be offering like technology classes or armchair surfing or uh, chair yoga and stuff like that for seniors to get engaged and be doing stuff like that. Um, and, or learning, you know, you just never know what a, what a senior will want to learn, whether it's, you know, maybe buying and selling, you know, uh, I just went brain dead, <laughs> like stock, the stock market being engaged in that or, or different stuff that they are interested in or penny trading or whatever, you know, of, of constantly learning this stuff. So, um, I applaud you for wanting to make sure that people understand from a, from a young age, like my age or so, um, how important it is for planning because we don't well, think I about that. We say this. I, can, I don't need yeah. to, you know, I, I started when I was 38 years old. My dad had his heart attack and I said, I'm not going to have a heart attack when I'm 62. And it was a combination of diet exercise. Okay. Um, and, and in part of it, engagement, being active or whatever. Right. But, but what I found was, is that in my career, then I've been very healthy, active, energized, and it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference in your whole career, your, your work environment. Um, and, and, and to me, it, it, it's, it's something that I focused on basically 25 years ago that's made a significant difference in my life, Okay going on 30 years ago. So really, I'm a living proof of that because I look at my health history and I'm, and I'm not having the health problems that my dad had in the 60s, okay? Okay. My brother's on the other end of the spectrum that he has had the health problems in the 60s, like my dad. And my sister had her health problems in her 60s and 70s, like my dad, okay? So I think there's a genetic factor that's involved there, but I think 
I'm just saying, you, the sooner people start, the, the better off they are on, on focusing on their diet, health, exercise, and sleep. That's another factor, okay? Making sure you get that you're rested and get your sleep because it has a big impact overall on everything. Um, I did want to wrap up, though, a little bit for Medicaid planning, because some people don't have time to do Medicaid planning, and it's already too late for them, okay? There are a lot of last-minute strategies we have to help people, okay, that have mom or dad that need help in the home, okay? They need help uh, going to the grocery, take them to the doctor, uh, doing their dishes, doing their laundry. And Medicaid will allow mom and dad to pay the kids the money that they have to pay someone else to do that service, which could be at $25 an hour. Okay. So it's called a care agreement. And so it doesn't matter that you've been doing it for five or 10 years. Medicaid will not allow you to go back and reimburse what what the kids have been doing for the last five years. But you need to be aware of this because if the kids are helping mom and dad out, mom and dad have assets. You want to try to protect those assets from the nursing home. The best thing we do is we start paying the kids under a written care agreement what they would have to pay an outside party to pay to do all those services things. And that's a way to accumulate money and shift it from mom's mom and dad's name out to the kids' names, okay? And they have to pay income taxes on that. The, the, the Medicaid would require them to report that and they have to pay it monthly. We have all kinds of requirements. We have a written agreement. It has to be notarized. And from the, date, from the date you sign the agreement going forward, it's a legitimate way for mom and dad to shift assets that's to the kids for helping them out at home, okay? That's number one thing that we, we try to recommend universally to clients that come in for last-minute planning. Number two, uh, sometimes a child moves in with mom or dad to help them uh, keep them out of the nursing home. There's a special rule that says if a child moves in with mom or dad and, and the doctor would certify that mom or dad, if the child didn't stay with them, would have to go to the nursing home, then there's a special rule that allows mom and dad to transfer the house to the child at the end of two years. And it's an exempt transfer. So basically now, if you do that, you're not allowed to have a care agreement, but if you do that, that's another way, especially if it's an expensive home. Now the child has to really move in, use it for their driver's license, their mail and everything else. You gotta do all, you gotta jump through all these hoops, but it's a legitimate way that that mom and dad can can protect the house from the nursing home, and it requires a little bit of planning because you got to you got to meet that two year rule. If you're short by one month, you you miss it. Right. It's something that a lot of people are not aware of that, and a lot of times one of the children are moving in with mom and dad and helping them out for years, and are not aware of this rule. and And it is a special rule that allows the house to be exempt. Um, does is there a time limit after the parent goes into the nursing home that that child has to hold on to that house or can they sell it at that point if they didn't want to continue living there? Well, there's, there's some special rules that they might have a tax because they, they they get it. It's a it's basically treated as a gift, okay. Right. And so the tax rules are such that um, you know the the child is their principal residence. So potentially, if the child's living in the home for more than two years. And if they own the house, when you know after they after it's in their name for two mm-hmm. years, then there's there's the the gain on the principal residence. There's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar exclusion that applies. Okay, if they're single, or if they're married, it's a five hundred thousand dollar exclusion. So there's some tax planning involved if the child would want to sell that house after mom and dad moved to the nursing home. Okay, there's some tax consequences though. 
Um, right. if, they, if they don't wait, if they sell it as soon as they go in, they don't qualify for that two-year rule that it was your principal residence for the two years that you owned it. You got to own it two years, okay? So um, it would be, you would have a capital gain. They'd have to pay tax on the capital gain for the sale of the house, okay? So there's some strategy and planning there that's involved. There's another plan I want to mention because this is the third thing. These are three common things that we do a lot of, and it's called a gift annuity. And I'm going to mention this because it's really, really important for, for people not to use documents off the internet for their financial power of attorney, because the documents on the internet do not have the, the language in them that we need to do the special Medicaid planning that I'm talking about. So we have a financial power of attorney that has special language in it that allows us to do several of these options for Medicaid planning. And if you're doing the generic boilerplate financial power of attorney off the internet, it's not going to have these provisions in them. I can guarantee you. Okay. Okay. So it is important that mom or dad get up to date healthcare documents, healthcare power of attorney, living will, financial power of attorney, make sure that they're all up to date. Okay. And one of the one of the features that we're looking for in this financial power of attorney is the ability for mom and dad to gift assets to their kids. It's a gifting clause. Most powers of attorney do not allow uh, the person to gift money to themselves or other people. Usually, if you have a financial power of attorney uh, in our, under Ohio, it's called a hot power. If it's not in the power of attorney, you can't do it. Medicaid would would not allow it either. So you have to have this language and this financial power of attorney to do what we call a gift annuity. And the gift annuity in simple terms is this. You have mom or dad that's widowed and they're single and they're going, they're going to the nursing home and they only got $100,000 left, okay? That's all they got. I mean, these are people that, you know, may, they might have $200,000 left. What we're able to do with a gift annuity is... And mom and dad might not be competent at this point in time. They had a stroke. Okay. So we need the financial power of attorney for the kids to step in and, and do the transaction on behalf of mom and dad. So what we do is we gift the asset to the kids and that triggers the penalty period for purposes of Medicaid. But there's a special loophole that says that basically the kids have to gift back money for mom and dad to buy an annuity. This is a gift annuity strategy but they only have to give around half of it back. We can save half of it. For a lot of people, that's a lot of money. If it's, if it's $100,000, we can maybe save $50,000 as for this last minute strategy. So it's a special loophole. It's referred to as a gift annuity. I'm trying to share with this because some people have not done the planning and they don't have a lot of assets, but this could be a special loophole that would allow them to have their children inherit some money. And because sometimes they go in and at 10,000 a month, in 10 months, that $100,000 is gone. Because keep in mind, if you're single, you're, you're on a private pay. We have a lot of clients that that's all they got. They're renting, you know, they've already downsized or, you know, they, they, they only have much. The house is worth $50,000 they got 50,000 in cash, okay? So we do this gift annuity strategy to help preserve some of the assets for the benefit of the children. So basically what I'm hearing from you is by spending the money to hire somebody like you, because maybe because we have listeners all across the U.S., so it may not be you, but preferably in Ohio and Kentucky it is, um, yeah. that they are 
really risking a lot of money by not having a plan in place and knowing what the current laws and requirements are. Exactly. So by coming to you and spending a little bit of money, they're saving a lot of money down the road. Especially when mom and dad are going to the nursing home, this last minute planning, right? In that example, the money was going to go to the nursing home anyway, so they, they can pay us and, and to help them save what little bit is left. Right. And it comes out of come mom and dad's pocket as far as helping preserve a little bit so that the kids inherit something right. instead of nothing. All right, Bill. What else? Um, I think we're going to wrap it up. But what what how do people get a hold of you and, and any last thoughts that you want to put out there for us? OK, well, I appreciate that. That um, I think that our website is heshlaw.com, H-E-S-C-H law.com. We have a lot of videos, a lot of seminars, a lot of webinars that are on the, the uh, a lot of blog articles that are on our website. Also, I uh, would encourage people to like our Facebook page. We have a lot of uh, content there on our law firm Facebook page, uh, William E. Hesh Law Firm uh, on Facebook. Um, and, and that basically contact, it's really interesting that uh, I've been in practice on my own now the past 27 years here in Oakley Square, same office, uh, the last 27 years. Uh, Amy, the attorney with me, Amy, Amy, Amy Pennekamp, she's been with me for 17 years. And a young attorney, Josh, has been with me for two years, and we have two law clerks. So we got a really sound team here working with me, okay? We've also got Carrie and Kathy on the CPA side that have been with me for my whole practice here, 26 years off and on, Kathy off and on, but Carrie's been with me for 27 years. So we do death and taxes and we do, and I'm also a registered investment advisor and helping clients with their retirement planning and their financial planning with, with Jason Nelson with Global Financial Resources. So I have a team of people that we work together and they don't have to, they can use me and wear whatever hat they want. I can work with their CPA. I can work with their attorney. I can work with their financial advisor. I just wear the hat that they need for me to wear. And if they have a professional that they're working with, I can step in and work with them and we can get the job done. And we can look at their situation, try to identify what can we do to help them from a tax planning standpoint, estate planning standpoint, uh, Medicaid planning standpoint. And, and I, I would mention another thing, they changed the rules on IRA distributions in, in December of 2018. So they really changed the rules. And a lot of people have a lot of money in their IRAs, a lot of their wealth. And there's a lot of tax planning involved now because when mom and dad die and their kids inherit their IRA, they have to take it out within 10 years and pay tax on that IRA. So if they have a substantial IRA or 401k rollover, because a lot of baby boomers, that's where their money is, is in IRA rollovers and 401ks. Uh, they have some major tax problems that we try to work with, with with trying to do some planning in that regard, too. So I did want to mention that also. But um, I am accessible on my cell phone. That's the nice thing that I think amazes a lot of my clients. They call me on my cell phone all the time. They can text message me. I am accessible. Uh, I return calls every day. I, when I get out of a meeting, I return my phone calls. So I manage my business and my practice uh, it, it very, very well, very service-oriented. And we're experienced and we're available. And, and so we are, um, you know, very interested in, in working with uh, anyone out there that, that, that has concerns and fears 
and we try to give them peace of mind. And that's where that's what we try to do is, uh, and that's what I enjoy most because we are able to give our clients peace of mind. We are able to the more advanced planning we do, uh, the better results we can get. But I think people are pleasantly surprised when we have to do some last minute planning what we can do for them, and they're very appreciative of that. So. And I will say, I've been in your office. I have met your team. Everybody is really nice. They 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 were polite to me, even though they never had even met me, and they were engaged and everything. So um, definitely uh, check below out when if you have taxes, if you have um, planning that you need to do for retirement, um, if you're at that stage, um, definitely reach out to him and ask questions. Um, does does can can they sit down with you and just have a conversation with you before they ever put anything into plan? I guess right. That's what we normally do. We offer a, a thirty minute consultation at no charge. Usually, it might last an hour, so it might be two hundred fifty dollars uh, for initial consultation if they need an hour instead of half an hour. One thing that's also unique, I should mention that they should check out my law firm website is I have a patent pending on a retirement trust for baby boomers. And it's, it's a very unique feature that I developed five years ago when I was doing estate planning for my children. And what I've done and what I've, and my kids are very happy with this, quite frankly, is that I have designed a trust that is a retirement plan for my children. The baby boomer children, the millennials, okay? The millennials are not gonna have social security in 30 or 40 years that we have today, okay? Um, they also don't have the, the 75% of people are, are, are paycheck to paycheck. And also half, half of the millennials live at home with their parents still. So with that in mind, I think a, a, a high percentage of our clients are, are wanting to do what I've done for my children. And that is it's a trust that basically provides for my children for the rest of their life. They get 4% of the assets every year. So if they inherit a half a million dollars, you get $20,000 a year. I'm just giving you a simple example. Sure. And when they turn age um, uh, 62, it, it annuitizes to a lifetime annuity. We don't buy the annuity, but it kicks it up to maybe 6%. The whole idea is if, if, I'm dying, if I die when they're in their 30s or 40s, in 20 years, that money's going to be 50% higher. And, and they're going to have more money to live off of at age 62, that that becomes the retirement that, that they'll have maybe, uh, in my example, if, if, if the 500000 becomes seven fifty in 20 years, is of inflation and we invest the money. In other words, you earn 6% and give out 4%. It goes up 2% a year for 20 years and compounding. The 500000 will be seven fifty, And then the seven fifty times 6% then. So basically the... Uh, um, um, you know, they're going to have $45,000 a year pension to supplement whatever they get from Social right. Security, which is going to be much. So a lot of clients really like this patent pending retirement trust for baby boomer children. So I did want to mention that as a wrap up thing that you can go on my website and get information about uh, my, my baby boomer retirement trust. Um, I think it's a very uh, viable option for a lot of baby boomers to provide responsibly for their children. I'm going to have to look into that myself. My daughter's 23. So definitely. All right, Bill, thank you so much for, oh, uh, for sharing your me. wealth of information with us today. And I hope everybody reaches out to you and um, becomes further educated about the uh, planning and, and providing and everything else that we need to do as we great age gracefully. 
So Bill, thanks for joining us today. So welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HIP Senior Podcast. Remember to subscribe or you'll miss out on more inspirational stories that will make your golden years into platinum years. If you'd like to learn more about the senior services provided today, please visit us online at www.thehipsenior.com.